no longer who you were. There's like a transitioning period where we have to change everything about us. We've become no longer the centre of our universe. We've completely changed our mindset, our hormones have changed, um, our focus has changed, our work has changed, family, our relationship. Every part of who we are is no longer what it was. And with that must come a period of transition and sadness and grieving as well as celebration. It's not that the village, the community, it's not that those women don't experience this rite of passage or this change. It's more that they have people around them who have been there and who support them through. You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Hi there. Today on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, I am joined by Tiffany Souza Macchiato, founder of the Village Foundation an app, mentor program, and training designed to connect new parents with experienced parents. The aim being to create a more supportive community. Tiffany is completing her PhD in business psychology with a focus on connecting parents to aid in the pressures of family and professional life. And she's completed research surrounding parenting support structures internationally. Tiffany has won numerous awards for her efforts to support families and to cultivate a shift around how we approach both parenting and motherhood. I think you'll appreciate today's chat with Tiffany where she shares her own experience with postnatal depression and the challenges she faced on her journey to and through motherhood. She challenges the cultural narrative that the birth of a child is exclusively a joyous experience, discussing the grieving process that many women also experience as they shift into this new role and this new sense of self. I am the mother of a toddler myself, and I do really connect with Tiffany's mission to support connection, particularly given that this culture can certainly feel isolating for new parents. Just a quick reminder that the Wisdom for Wellbeing launch party is happening on social media right now, so you can head on over to at Dr. Caitlin on Insta and at Wisdom for Wellbeing Pod on Facebook. You'll hear a bit more about our amazing partners later in the episode. But without further ado, here's Tiffany. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast and actually sitting down face to face with me today. It's really nice to get to spend this time with you and to hear your insights around, you know, parenthood and connection, community, and the exciting work you're doing with the village that we will be talking about shortly. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Nice to be here. <laughs> and I guess just to start things off, Tiffany, would you mind sharing a little bit about your background and why this this journey of parenthood is so close to your heart sure well um I think you know you and I were chatting recently around how parenthood was never really a big focus for me growing up it wasn't yeah. something that I really wanted to do <laughs> but um I lost my mum quite uh early yeah. and suddenly and it was always her passion for me to have a family and always her biggest um focus was family and children and so literally as she was dying <laughs> I sort of ch my whole mind 
just shifted and I said I promised her that I would have a family and um yeah so I sort of moved into that frame of mind and then um on the journey to having a child uh, struggled with a lot of illness um and you know I went through I think three years of trying to have a baby which was you know really difficult um you know I was bleeding a lot I had like 18 blood transfusions in two two and a half years it was really tough and I was doing a lot of work on myself and working through all of that and where all of that you know um pain was coming from um so by the time I had faith through IVF um it was actually she was so built up in my mind and the whole process and the whole experience was such um I don't know it was was something that I had focused on every single day for three years so then when she came I guess the reality of being a parent really didn't quite match the (laughs) expectation (laughs) I had developed over those few years um yeah so it was really difficult and it was in that difficulty that I realized the importance of uh focusing on parenthood and health and mental well-being and connection and community and all of that kind of stuff yeah because I really didn't have any yeah you would have been going into your mom obviously wouldn't have been there supporting you Mm. and I imagine there would have been a lot of trauma and healing that would have happened or needed to happen around that yeah well I'd done a lot of um, healing over losing my mom in those three years um but then of course to not have her well, I had a new baby, which is, you know, and I, and it was sort of haunting for me every day. I'd just remember her words, which was, you know, please have a baby. Mum, will, I'll look after it. You can go off and do your thing. And all I want to do is be a grandmother. And, of course, she never got the opportunity. And I yeah. felt a lot of guilt around that because yeah. I put it off for so long and I didn't have faith till I was 34. So, um, yeah, it was really difficult to um, go out, for example, and see other people with their mothers shopping and having them be spoiled and having them hold the baby and you know just have someone else really to share it with and I really just had no one yeah so tell me a bit about that like that sense it sounds like of isolation that might have developed in the context of having a baby yeah I sort of had a personality transplant um (laughs) (laughs) one of those (laughs) yeah it was really bad I've I remember um I did not want to admit how difficult it was so I kept on trying to keep the vision of this beautiful happy family alive and I remember you know my husband would get home and we'd go for our we'd always go for an afternoon walk walk the dogs and so we would do that with her but he was struggling a lot being a parent again and so he wasn't there you know emotionally and I could feel that yeah so then of course that was playing into it as well and I did put a lot of pressure on him because he was everything I had I had no one else to sort of share this with or to unload to as much as I tried to sort of find people to share it with there just seemed to be no one yeah um so it was really isolating and I remember the day that I finally admitted that it wasn't what what I wanted it to be and we were on one of our walks and I remember screaming at him and just saying you're ruining this for me I'm miserable just be with me and be here, like, be happy with me. I want this to be perfect. And, of course, you know, that was once it was said, yeah. <laughs> it was difficult to hide from it again. 
that's an interesting point that you kind of alluded to in that moment. Like, I want this to be perfect. And you'd had three years of building up what mm. motherhood and having this baby would be like. So then going to this state of recognizing that it's not perfect and having all of that expectation. Yeah. That sounds like it was really difficult to navigate and to hold. Yeah, it was actually. I struggled a lot because I really just, I felt like I had watched us deteriorate very slowly and um you know as it turned out we did separate when faith uh, turned three so it was like a three-year decline yeah (laughs) and watching it slowly unravel and you know comments from the outside would indicate where I was I really didn't have any internal um measurement of it I, I was kind of aware of it through what other people would say so I remember you know, uh, my husband's brother saying, what happened to Tiff? She used to be the coolest chick. Okay. Um, and I wasn't meant to hear that, but I remember, and I remember thinking, I'm, I'm not myself anymore. Yeah. And I remember, you know, s- constantly nagging um, Craig to be with me or to be different or to, you know, and I, I just re- remember my dad saying to me, maybe you've got, you know, postnatal depression. And getting really angry that he would suggest that. Okay. Um, But obviously, that's where I was. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So your dad might have suggested that you had postnatal depression. You sort of heard comments that Mm. inferred that maybe you weren't where you had historically been. Yeah. And you were really resistant to this idea. Could you share a little bit about why you were so resistant to the idea of postnatal depression and, and this experience? Because for me, postnatal depression was a thing that you got and that you had and that it would be really obvious once you kind of got it you know it wasn't like a gradual just being it wasn't something that slowly kind of developed over a accumulation of bad days and so since then you know I've I've done a lot of work trying to you know share with people that it's not something that you finally get it's an experience that grows over time and if it's not recognized or nurtured or supported it just becomes more and more difficult to um to kind of manage or hide or yeah uh, deal with and so for me it was just that I was isolated that I was sad that I was lonely um that I was feeling guilty that I was struggling with being with faith every day all day on my own you know and I remember on week two when all the visitors stopped coming just thinking I was sitting on the kneeling on the lounge room floor folding her little washing and I remember looking outside and having this dreadful thought of just oh my god I have to do this all again tomorrow yeah and like it's not gonna end this is actually it now and, what, and that was horrifying. What you're describing, so the sense of like, this is going to be Groundhog Day. This is going to happen yeah. every day. But that sense of being, you know, isolated, sad, lonely, guilty. I, I, I'm gathering then, I guess, my own experience. Like, it sounds like what every mom experiences yeah. at some point. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Because I guess there's a lot of stigma around articulating some of these experiences Mm. and recognizing you know this concept of what is normal in motherhood and what is a warning sign that maybe we do need a bit more help yeah okay so for me I think that um those experiences that most mothers go through like do feel 
I think they are normal and that they are a normal part of motherhood. And if you think about it, and I know we chatted about this recently as well, you know, of course that's normal. You're, you're no longer who you were. There's yeah. like a transitioning period where we have to change everything about us. We've become no longer the center of our universe. We've completely changed our mindset. Our hormones have changed. Um, our focus has changed. Our work has changed, family, our relationship. Every part of who we are is no longer what it was. Yeah. And with that, must come a period of transition and sadness and grieving as well as celebration yeah. for me the 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 warning signs come in when when that period of transition is not supported yeah. not shared yeah. not allowed to happen you know not sort of given a space to be um and then and not acknowledged by people who have been there before and experienced it yeah. and sort of you, you know it's like if it's if you're told that this is normal and that it's okay to be experiencing this and that even not talking about it but having women around you that go, yes, it's okay, you know, and being there to experience this with you, it almost buffers that rite of passage yeah. so that it doesn't uh, snowball into then what can become depression. Yeah. And anxiety, and obviously there are a lot of biological factors that play into postnatal depression. But for me, I think there is a huge element of the social yeah. and the connection and um, the mental space. So around having those experiences be allowed to be shared, and so that's my focus. And it's interesting that you kind of mentioned that it was after sort of week two, the visitors start coming. You were, you know, noticing that you were having this lots of like oh my goodness, like this is going to be tomorrow, mm-hmm. being totally isolated, not having people who could normalize by the sounds yeah. your experience as well as actually participate and be there with you and share those moments of the day yeah. and that this is a big focus of yours now. And would you mind sharing a little bit around this focus because I'm going to lead into the community that you're yeah. really focused on and how that is so, hmm. so vital. Um, sure. Well, you know, I did a lot of research in my degree around. Um, I did anthropology as a you know second major, and I yeah. and I studied postnatal depression across many cultures. And one of the things that I found was that you know it's not it's not that the village, the community, it's not that those women don't experience this rite of passage or this mm-hmm. change um, and this sort of um, inward sort of in a inner uh, going inward to go through that sort of dark period of transition it's more that they have people around them who have been there and who support them through okay. so for me um a big focus has been around being open about that accepting that it's normal to feel like this of yeah. course there are going to be happy days and good times but those thoughts and feelings that kind of hit us that we feel like we shouldn't be having if we've got people around us that are sharing their experiences in an in a genuinely honest way mm-hmm. because there are a lot of people that do it in a, that don't do it honestly and I think that we need to be very careful about who we're sharing with and where we're getting those supports from that's a very interesting <laughs> point that you mentioned a lot of people don't share. I suppose, you know, if you look at social media, you would think yeah. the motherhood is like wearing a white dress mm-hmm. and, you know, prayer beads and frolicking out in fields. And, yeah. and 
you know, being on the ground in the experience, like there might be those really beautiful moments, but that isn't the entirety of the experience and culturally, not just those images perhaps, but the actual conversations we have with some people might not be as um, gritty perhaps. Yeah. So, you know, um, again, some of the research that I've done has shown that, you know, mother's groups can be really beneficial for some people, Mm. but if those, if there are people that are finding it difficult or are very vulnerable um then they can actually be a space uh which doesn't feel as safe to be open and honest and if you think about it everybody there is a new parent and everybody is trying to put their best foot forward and put their best bravest face on um and it takes i guess a a special someone who's brave enough to say this is really sucking for me (laughs) I'm so exhausted and my baby is not sleeping through the night because of course you know one of my first uh, blog posts was two very dangerous questions one is is it a good baby and second is is your baby sleeping because firstly (laughs) they're not meant to sleep (laughs) they don't sleep biologically and yet and yet it's the first question we put and there's so much pressure on new on new parents and new mothers um are are they sleeping and of course the reaction is that you want to be successful at having them sleep and so when so often people say yes when really it's no or they'll create this kind of story around oh, they sleep through the night, but then sort of leave out the information about, but they feed every two hours. And (laughs) it becomes this really complex web of sort of secrecy and smoke and mirrors. Um, When I think for me, the most refreshing piece of information I got as a new mum was don't expect to sleep for two years. Yes. And it really just took the pressure off. And I really didn't care about it anymore. I just put that as an, oh, okay. (laughs) I won't. Instead of, you know, reading things whereas at eight six months they should be sleeping four hours and five hours and six and it's like this pressure to do it right and to you know what am I doing wrong and what's wrong with my baby when actually you know they're just they're perfectly fine and I mean there are obviously those few cases where they're they've got reflux or what have you but generally speaking babies just don't sleep (laughs) yeah or that like saying you know sleeping like a baby yeah in actuality it means perhaps not sleeping. yes exactly whoever created that saying I don't understand what they were doing but (laughs) well I'm actually interested just because you did allude to the fact that it's not normal for a baby to sleep in and some listeners might have heard all of these you know baby should be sleeping this many hours at this age and I need to expect that my baby sleeps this much otherwise somehow my baby's failing or I'm failing like what what is kind of the research or your understanding around baby sleep yeah um, I'm certainly not an expert in this area but you know as far as Again, I always go back to cross-cultural research and what's happening in other countries and what's kind of the norm outside of our small understanding of what is reality. Um, And, you know, I'm a big believer in co-sleeping and I'm a big believer in that the baby learns to breathe by listening to us breathe and that they sleep um, and that they need to eat frequently in order to keep their tummies full. And then, you know, for me it's just... I don't necessarily believe in maternal instincts, but I certainly believe that there's that you go with what's naturally happening. Okay. And if a baby is naturally happening, I don't think we need to teach them to sleep. And I've always been, I've always felt quite sad at the thought of babies being left to sleep yeah. on their own and crying. And and I know it only theoretically takes three days, but for me, it just wasn't something that I 
I wanted to do. So I've always leaned towards the research that showed that it was much more normal and natural to sleep with and to be awake with. Yeah. Um, And to go through those difficult two to three years of waiting until they do learn to sleep naturally through the night. And I know that that's really against what a lot of mothers hear and learn and do and prefer, but I'm being honest (laughs) (laughs) about my experience. Interesting point that you kind of mentioned, you didn't necessarily believe in maternal instincts. And I think that's another Mm. interesting um, topic there is often we are told to trust our gut. And I I think in this sort of sleep deprived new Mm -hmm. mom state, you know, at least it was my experience. I didn't know what was what, you know, I was very dependent on learning from others and hearing others information and experience. Mm -hmm. And that also relates back to what you were saying earlier that you just wanted someone to normalize what was going on for you. Yeah. I mean, certainly, um, I used to believe in maternal instincts and I had a professor of mine actually challenge that belief and I spent some time trying to fight her on it. (laughs) Um, but then I, I, um, I really delved into it over some years and have and I do believe that that parenting is largely learned and that anyone can learn to do it and that it's not natural. And that as soon as we lift that, again, that expectation that we should know what to do and that we will automatically know what to do, the pressure is lifted because yeah. anything can be learned. Yes. Okay. You know, and so if I'm not, and I'm not naturally a mother, I'm not naturally maternal, but uh, I'm willing to learn and I do my best and I'm willing to read everything and speak to people and try different things. And so that's how I've developed as a mother because I didn't have anyone to watch or to copy yeah. or to learn from. Um, and I certainly did not know what to do on my own. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I recently did some research. I did three and a half months of research on parenting in Sweden. And, you know, that cross-cultural thing again, they've got a very strong belief that parenting is learned. Okay. Um, and that mothers and fathers can learn it at the same time at the same rate and of course this is reflected in their co-parenting policies where the dad does just as much parenting in the early years as the mum and the mum is left goes to work and the baby's left with the dad and the dad learns what to do (laughs) which is very different from the Australian culture isn't it where you know there's a certain allocation of maternity leave and and the paternity leave is two weeks yeah yeah yeah, so, so very different. It's shared. Yeah. Um, in Sweden, they get something like 480 days, you know, wow. of leave, and they share that. And the dad will stay home for a year and look after the baby and do the playdates and pack the meals. And the women have a very strong view that no one's going to die. They leave and they'll work out how to feed them and how to put them to sleep, and it is learned. And that's interesting because I suppose that also relates back to, you know, mentioning work and heading off and, and doing this other part of life that is not mothering and how that might relate to our sense of identity perhaps and how that yeah. might relate to mental health. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the biggest problems I think that we face as working parents is that loss of identity when we become parents. So if you look at the statistics that we're becoming parents in our mid thirties, we've already been working for at least 10 years and we've developed this really strong sense of what we're capable of, of of achievement. We live in an achievement based culture. Um, And we also live in a culture that values um, education and work and achievement and status around that occupation. So to then leave that and suddenly be at home on your own 
without anyone telling you that you're doing a good job, that you've got these KPIs that you're meeting. I mean, it doesn't come with that. You're literally sitting on the floor with vomit on you probably, with <laughs> yeah. a screaming baby that you don't know what they're screaming about. And you're kind of – this sense of who you are and what you're doing is is very much challenged. And I think for me that was a huge problem. I really was at the park. I mean, I'd be at the park pushing Faith on a swing thinking my brain is being wasted. <laughs> What's my brain doing? Like I just want to be at work. I want to be using it and talking and I don't want to be here pushing and – yeah. You know, picking up sandwiches off the floor. And I just, you know, but I I think that for me the second time around I learned to balance that a lot better okay. so that I was doing both. And so that the days that I, I was with Rumi, my second baby, yeah. I was really with her because yeah. I had days where I was really working. That's a really interesting concept. So you had clarity in regards to showing up really present with Rumi and being able to be there versus it sounds like in that first experience with Faith, you were there with her, but emotionally, cognitively, perhaps somewhere else because it was seemingly exhausting and perhaps not, um, is fulfilling the right word? Yeah, it just wasn't. It didn't give me everything I needed. It didn't fill my cup. You know, it wasn't enough to fill my cup. And and Hi there. I'm just jumping in to remind you that our launch party is happening over on Insta at Dr. Caitlin and on Facebook at Wisdom for Wellbeing Pod. Women hold a lot on their shoulders. And on Self-Care Sunday through to Wednesday, we're opening up the Soul Giveaway where you have a chance to win a package comprised of some amazing good from some lovely women themselves. The Soul Package contains one crystal candle from Katie at the Little Pink Fox, littlepinkfox.com.au. Katie donates a portion of each gift box to Lifeboat SE, which is a South Australian organization supporting those suffering with anxiety. The package also contains one crystal drink bottle from Mama Jacinta at Lily and Rose, lilyroseaustralia.com.au, a shop that she created with delightful goodies for little babies, as well as some self-nurturing for the mamas. And that's not all. What soul bundle would be complete without a little aromatherapy? Fragrant rituals have included a beautiful perfume and a lemon detox tea, both created by the lovely Zahana herself. Check out her shop, etsy.com forward slash au forward slash a shop forward slash fragrant rituals, or get in touch with Zahana to find out more about her beautiful aroma dress sessions, where she creates individualized scents for unique women. If you'd like to learn more, check out our social media site. There you can connect with the brands involved as well as visit www.drcaitlin.com forward slash launch TCS to find the full terms and conditions. All right, back to the episode now. And I mean, I just want to clarify as well around what I said around the maternal instincts. I think there's a, there's a real difference between maternal instincts and, and your gut Okay. Okay. Yeah. So for me, um, I do trust my gut. Yeah. Okay. So for me, my gut tells me I want to co-sleep, for example. Yeah. Okay. And other people, it doesn't fit with them. And yeah. and I respect that. And yes. I respect their, their lifestyle. Their lifestyle. Yeah. Same with things like going back to work. I chose to spend five years at home with Faith full time. I did a little bit of work from home and because to me, that was the right thing to do. I didn't like childcare 
I didn't want to do childcare. It wasn't something that I, I didn't have family to help me. And it was to me, I was trying to be perfect, right? At this yeah. point, this is my <laughs> first baby. And it was like, I would knit, I would bake, I would do all the stuff, tick all the boxes, grow organic food, you know. Yeah. And I still believe that that's all important. But what I didn't do was trust my gut that I really needed to work at the same time yeah. and really needed to use my brain. And I was trying to fit myself into this perfect mold, which I thought was perfect. Yeah. Um, what I've done differently is I still trust my gut that for me, I don't, I don't do childcare. For me, it doesn't work. It doesn't feel right for me. Yeah. I know that parents use it, need it, and I have no judgment around yeah. that. I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> I've yeah. tried and I just can't do it. Um, so I've then had to restructure my work yeah. and fit that around Rumi so that when I went back to work after three months, I was still able to balance being that perfect hands-on mum yeah. with also using my brain and working and keeping my foot in the door for my own mental health. Yes. And then I've realised, of course, that that is different for everybody. Yeah. Some people... I hear, you know, giving sort of advice, which is always tricky <laughs> um, to new, to new mums and saying, make sure you take at least three years off. And for me, I'm like, don't do that unless you really want to, yeah. you know, um, you've really got to know what you need and try your best to honor what you need. If you need to work, then work. If you're going to work and really hating being there and you just want to stay at home, then work it out and stay at home, you yeah. know? This is really interesting, Tiffany, because you mentioned that this concept of advice too may not always you you kind of you know snickered a little <laughs> bit as you were saying it, which probably yeah. people heard in your tone, but just that it is so different for everyone. So yeah. maybe the advice that we often need to hear is is to trust our gut or to go with what is going to suit us and our lifestyle. Yeah. Because the I guess instincts might be mm -hmm. off or that preconceived judgment around what being a perfect mother is might not necessarily be the same yeah, for that's everyone. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, for some people, the perfect parent is being back at work after eight weeks, having the child perfectly smooth transitioned into childcare, yeah. you know, and for others, it's doing what I thought, which was staying home and blah, blah. But really, I think advice is tricky because everybody is different and it's backed by research. You know, when I do my research on postnatal depression and the recommendations are always that what we need is individualized support. Yeah. What does that person need? What's important to that person? And I think it's important to recognize what your values are and to try and match your lifestyle to those values. You know, what is it that does fill your cup and how are you going to be able to do what you need to do to keep well, matching those values, but also obviously having the responsibilities that we have in, in, this, day and age, <laughs> in, yeah. in this day and age of doing with, everything. With family. So with regards to the research you've done around postnatal depression and values, would you mind just sharing a little bit more with the listeners about that research and about, I guess, what postnatal depression is, what it looks like and, and different strategies for moving forward from that experience and, and, and transforming? I think it's important to understand that it's not something that one day you just get. Like So like I explained yeah. before, yeah. Um, it is a continuous feeling of um, sadness and isolation and loneliness. There is a definite mood change over a period of weeks. Um, there are tests, there, there are surveys that you can do. If you see your doctor, you can go in and you can, um, you know, or a psychologist, you can go in and talk about it and find out whether or not you have sort of moved from sort of the normal 
range of transition, which I like to call it the normal range of transition, you know, into more um, where you might need some help or some talking therapies or whatever that you need to address it. Um, It's definitely there are components, you know, there's your previous psychological history, there's your biology. So hormones are insane at this time. (laughs) And it's, you know, we think you you can't, um, you can't logically do anything with them they are what they are and they do drive a lot of of our experience and we just need to be aware of those and understand that we're going to be teary or sad or upset or high or that's a degree of acceptance yeah it it? is and recognizing that it changes so dramatically from teariness to high like the whole range of experience and this is one of those things where having people that have been through it can see and recognize you know what might be normal and what what might not be um obviously any feelings of harm towards yourself or your baby need to be addressed immediately yeah um you know it's a very sad figure of i think one in five maternal deaths is through is suicide okay um and scary and it is very scary and i find it incredibly sad um because there is such a rhetoric around early motherhood being happy and perfect and that there isn't allowed to be this period of sadness and transition and loss and mourning which I reiterate you know it's so important to just allow that time and to be around people who are really safe and trusted Um, and for me community doesn't have to be your family it can be whoever really gets you you know for me it was a work colleague and a midwife and I would call them when I was having meltdowns and crying hysterically and they would almost laugh but in a loving way and sort of lighten things and say it's okay this is normal you're okay just take a moment go in the bathroom wash your face breathe you know it's okay to feel like this you're not a bad mum and you you will be okay and it was it was great welcome by the sounds (laughs) and you're also normalizing some of the experience and yeah I guess in regards to the postnatal depression, even normalizing that, that it is an experience people have, that it's not outside the realms of no, no, what no. A, a mother can, ex- can expect. Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't the, make them bad. Yeah, no, the statistics are, you know, 80% of new parents will experience some form of emotional distress okay. in the first year, 80%. That's the vast majority. Yeah. Um, and that's reported. I mean, so yeah. of course, there's always, I personally think it's 100%, but <laughs> the reported figures 80%. One in five women will experience post postnatal depression one in 10 men will experience postnatal depression and what we need to realize is that if if we have any inklings that we are in fact suffering even if we don't think it's postnatal depression but if we're sad and feeling really low for an extended period of time seeking help if not for you is good for your whole family for society for your infant for your other children if you have any there are, you know, long-term effects that everyone will feel if it's left. And I certainly can attest to those with a nine-year-old, highly anxious daughter (laughs) who is beautiful and highly spirited and gorgeous and full of life, but also highly anxious. And, um, and I look at her and I just see a lot of me in that time. Yeah. Um, and she's still a beautiful girl full of, you know, all of those amazing things that a nine year old has, but she, she has that. And I can't help but think if I had addressed my sadness or my isolation earlier, um, 
or if I had known that it was okay to be like that, if someone had just told me it was okay, then maybe I would have been less anxious and then maybe she would be less anxious. Okay. But just knowing, I think it's just so important. I mean, I did go and see a counsellor and I did try and find people to be around um, and it just didn't happen for me. And I'm grateful for that gift, of course, because now my whole life's work is around Which is actually what I'd like to lead into next because this... um, You've created The Village, which is a fantastic community and a fantastic support for parents. So would you mind just sharing a bit about this this beautiful gift that you've given to parenthood? Um, well, for me, Village was around connecting new parents with people who'd been there before. Um, so as I alluded to earlier, you know, my experience of a mother's group wasn't positive. Um, I found it incredibly competitive And I would often leave feeling really sad um, and more isolated than I was when I got there. Um, Yet I kept going back. That's all I had. (laughs) So, So Village was created because I look back at that time and the people that gave me what I needed were mentors, were people who had been there before. Like I said, my work colleague who had adult children, my midwife who had five adult children, um, when I called them, I felt comforted when I felt normal and I wanted to create that opportunity for new parents in the, in, you know, in their local community. So, um, I created an app, um, which any parent can download, um, either experienced parents or new parents. And would you mind just sharing with us where they can download it? Okay, so you can get that from the iTunes store or from um, uh, Google Play. You just search Village. You just search the Village Foundation. The Village Foundation. And it should be a – it's a pink And we'll put a a a link in the show notes so people can (laughs) always grab the show notes if Um, that's easier. Or you can go to villagefoundationapp.com and you can download it from there. Um, and so you just create a profile. It takes about two minutes and you can start searching parents in your local neighborhood. So you can find, if you're a new parent, you can search mentors. If you're a mentor, you can reach out to new parents. New parents can reach out to new parents. So it's really quite whatever you're after and you can, um, connect with them and knowing that they've made themselves available because there is still this hesitation for new parents to reach out and meet with other people. I mean, not for me. I was so desperate when I first had faith. I would walk down the street and try and harass old people to talk to me like, <laughs> um, and linger in shops until it became really awkward because I just wanted to talk to anybody. So, yeah. I mean, I'm no stranger to just reaching out and talking, but um, it's made really simple because you can find people that have already said, I'm here and I'm available yeah. and are probably looking for someone else as well. Um, and then you can chat and connect and meet up face to face in the park or just chat on the app that's fantastic because it sounds like even just having someone say what you're experiencing is normal and you mentioned that sort of gentle humor yeah that the people you're reaching out to brought to the moment having someone who can go oh yeah like I went through that too or yeah well that's fine. the thing with mentorship yeah. right because there's a space there yeah. where there's no longer a sense of having to prove yourself or competition mm-hmm. you know as a new as an experienced parent I currently sit in both camps you know I've got a new baby and I've also got a nearly nine-year-old so as an experienced parent when I meet new parents now I laugh and go oh yeah of course my baby's not sleeping (laughs) you know and I have no qualms about being open about the fact that she has meltdowns every morning that she will be awake halfway through the night asking for a bottle this morning actually playing uh, rock paper scissors shoot (laughs) <laughs> at 3am that's what we woke up to at 3am you know and like, like for me that's funny and it's tiring but I know it'll pass yeah. 
yeah, you know, and when exactly, and it, I think that's the biggest gift a mentor brings to any new parent is that ability to know with their whole body, know that it will pass, that teething is a phase, that being unsettled and clingy is a phase, and when you're a new parent and you're in that, you think it's real and that this is the new reality and you'd have no concept that it's actually going to end. <laughs> well, you know, and I, I use the app. So I remember reaching out to yourself and to um, some other mentors there and it was questions. It was questions around sleep and, <laughs> and it was, you know, early days. And I just remember feeling so reassured by being like, oh yeah, that's normal. Like yeah. we had that too. Yeah. You know, don't worry. It will, it will pass. Just yeah. having someone else say it to me because it's so concerning when you think that you could be doing something wrong for Mm. your baby or you're missing something or that you know that's your reality for the next three years that you think it's actually going to be like that for the next three years and it only takes two nights of sleep deprivation to start feeling like hopeless yeah and teary and you know I mean sleep deprivation is a form of torture (laughs) it's actually you know so it's um, no one's really expecting a new parent to think clearly or to be switched on and onto it. Um, and I think that, again, that's the beauty and the gift that a mentor brings is that knowledge and that compassion. And we've actually found that recently. We did a, um, a small survey uh, slash experiment through Village and we asked new parents anonymously what was the one thing that they wanted to say that they would never dare say out loud. And the responses we got were, were just... Um, so raw and so honest and so desperate and then we asked mentors in the community to respond and I think I read three and was in tears at the level of compassion and understanding and almost relief even for me who's running this um, to hear this understanding and this normalizing of experiences is just so beautiful and that's what Village aims to do is to just normalize and make it okay so that new parents can really they can enjoy this beautiful time and they can go through a bad day and know that it's actually going to be okay yeah well that's a really wonderful point that you've put there Tiff is that this idea that we can share in a safe way what's going on for us and that people can be open and accepting to that and respond as you said very sensitively and beautifully mm-hmm. and I, I guess maybe as the village offers as people who've you know, offered their hearts and decided to show up and provide this mentorship, that that might be a safe place to reach out. Because sometimes, as you spoke of earlier, you know, the people we are sharing with, it might not necessarily always feel safe or it might not yeah. be the right connection. So maybe that opportunity to talk to a few people yeah. and see which responses, which philosophies resonate with us is, is something exactly. really important that the village really funnels for people. Yeah. So, I mean, you get a choice, you get to, you get to look at people's profiles and the mentors actually put a little bit of information about themselves and they uh and each of the mentor profiles there's one little piece of parenting wisdom and so you know you get to choose who do you resonate with and it might be a different person for a different issue and so you can collect mentors and have them in a little list and then whatever you're feeling on that day you can actually choose who you talk to choose who you reach out to and you know that we're doing lots of developments on the app it's only in very early stages we're doing lots of development where we're going to make that even more accessible and more um freely 
you know, available to share anonymously or not anonymously and to connect with people. So we're looking forward to that as well. That's really exciting. And I think, you know, how amazing would it be, you know, if we had kind of these um, descriptions of the individuals in our lives that we're reaching out to that the village actually offers for us. Mm -hmm. And given that, you know, for a lot of us, it might not be so easy to reach out to people face-to-face in our community we might not have that community Mm -hmm. there might be certain pretenses here we can access the app and find that community create that community yeah the one other thing I wanted to go back to just before we start to wrap up today is you mentioned that in your first blog post you mentioned this concept of sleep and how (laughs) that is really not a good question and you know all new parents I believe have experienced it but it's not it's not helpful you mentioned the good baby bad baby yeah can you tell me just a little bit about that before we wrap up I just I find that really sad I mean who's got a bad baby you know (laughs) um I get what people mean and I get that they mean is it a fussy baby is it difficult you know are they clingy and all that sort of stuff I don't know I just think again if someone's asking that and you're put in a position where your baby has been very clingy is very needy does have reflux or does not sleep are you are you having to say that you've got a bad baby? Like what does that do to a new parent? I don't want to have to say that I've, you know, and I think what people mean is, I know what they mean. They mean, is it easy? Is it chilled? Is it whatever? And I think that's really unfair to put that on a new parent because that's their baby. You know, they're going to love that baby, whether it's crying all night, whether it's sleeping 16 hours, you know, which is totally not normal. Um, you know, and I just think, I just think being mindful of what we ask a new parent, because what are your options when you say, do you have a good or bad baby? Like, what are the options? You have to say, no, they're awful. (laughs) And then feel bad about yourself. Wonder if it's you wonder if it's something wrong with your baby, you know, why didn't I do and then comparing babies oh my gosh you know I went away with someone with a couple once and they had a I'm using the air quotes at the moment good baby (laughs) and um, I had the air quotes difficult baby and it's awful to constantly have that thrown in your face and you feel I felt awful as a mum I felt like I was angry at her for not being better and I don't want to feel that I want to feel like she is who she is and that's who she is. And if she's a little bit like that, well, so it's a phase and it'll pass. And sometimes we all develop and grow and some of us are high maintenance and some of us aren't. Yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't be something that we put this label on this new baby or particularly on the mother um, because she's going to wear it. The baby has no clue what you're saying. The mother is going to take that home yeah. and wear it. Okay, so this is, I think, a really important takeaway point so for members of the community that may or may not be parents may or may not be new parents this idea of asking new parents about baby's sleep and whether or not the baby is a good baby Mm -hmm. that these are two really unhelpful areas and maybe areas we need to be mindful and sensitive when we're interacting with someone who is in that state of sleep deprivation you know in that really steep learning curve of becoming and moving into this state of parenthood Mm -hmm. maybe there's other ways that we could support yeah I mean absolutely of course there are other ways we can support and if you're just a sort of a a stranger and you're asking someone about their baby and you're not in a position to support them outside of that meeting maybe ask you know how are you finding not sleeping yeah normalizing and normalizing that and then they're just going to be actually relieved that you don't expect them to be sleeping yeah and they might actually respond with oh my gosh it's really difficult yeah (laughs) or 
Oh, uh, they've yeah, it's it's really tough, but you know, and they feel that space to be honest, and that's yeah. and it's an amazing gift you've just given that new parent. That's that freedom. <laughs> a really beautiful takeaway is one of the more effective questions we could ask that creates a safe space. Yeah. And and on the good baby, bad baby, you know, what kind of personality does this little one have? Yeah. And then it's individuality. It beca- exactly. And I think that, you know, as soon as we start allowing that space for that openness of response instead of those closed questions, um, people will feel more safe and more open and more able to be honest about their experience and it might even end up being a beautiful conversation between strangers which actually is often is often the most uh, wonderful form of support that we can get I think some of the most beautiful connections I've had are with strangers who have seen something in my eyes and said hey you've had a really tough night haven't you and I've just melted and cried and we've had this shared moment and never seen each other again yeah but it was that moment of support and that (laughs) moment of reaching out in community which I guess is the final takeaway particularly for um, parents is creating community so a new parent being able to reach out whether Mm -hmm. it's to people in your immediate circle in your community that you have at current and if you're feeling like you need some extra support maybe reaching out through the village app and connecting with people in your area that way mm-hmm. um, as well as if you have you know children that might have had a few years behind them you've moved into this state of parenthood and mentorship taking the opportunity to check in with new parents be it people in your social circle as well as having this wonderful opportunity to again connect in with the village app and to offer some mentorship to people who are in those um, those more challenging moments <laughs> yes absolutely yeah, yeah. and face to face connection i'm always a big big fan a big of. fan of and that's you mentioned that it's a location based yes yeah, so, so you can choose to meet up at the local coffee shop if you need to yeah, yeah. fantastic <laughs> thank you so much for your time thank Tiffany. you it was a really wonderful conversation and it was really nice to hear your thoughts around you know the journey that is parenthood and for you to be so open and honest about it not all being you know sunshine and yeah. roses but there are some <laughs> there are some more challenging moments and that that's normal mm-hmm. and then if it's getting quite difficult where someone might be experiencing a state of distress more regularly reaching out to mental health pr- um, yeah, practitioners, absolutely. GP, psychologist, yeah. and having a check-in to make sure that they're okay and knowing that that's okay and yeah. that does not make them a bad parent. In fact, it makes you a wonderful parent because you're taking care of yourself and it's really important to do that. Thank you. That's Thank a beautiful you. note to finish on. I hope you found this interview with Tiffany as normalizing and grounding as I did. You can find Tiffany at tiffanydesouzamachiado.com as well as being able to connect through the Village app. That's villagefoundationapp.com or have a look in the app store. I know I certainly found it useful during some sleepless nights on my own journey. Of course, visit drcaitlin.com to find today's show notes and episode transcript and more information about the Wisdom for Wellbeing launch party. This is the last of our scheduled episodes for this week, but I'll let you in on a little secret. A bonus episode is going to be released before Wednesday. It's one that I'm particularly excited about, and I think it's quite timely. So go ahead and hit subscribe, and I'll be jumping back into your earbuds soon. All right, bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drcaitlin.com to connect, 
find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for Wellbeing is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.